Falling into advertising photography was a happy accident according to today's guest. A career that has had incredible highs, but hasn't always been easy. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to exploring what does it take to live boldly amongst the mess, the busyness and the uncertainty of our world. John Sievis has always had creativity in his world and he found a flair at the intersection of advertising, photography and now directing. His break came at the age of 20 after producer Jane Scott contacted RMIT looking for someone to shoot stills for the Australian feature film Head On. He went on to work in the entertainment industry creating images for films such as Chopper, for anyone that can recall that really striking image of Eric Banner, that is John's work. He's also worked on Ned Kelly and Jindabyne and television series including The Secret Life of Us and Summer Heights High. John divides his time between LA, Mexico and Melbourne. His work is fine art meeting commerciality and it's by holding on to the philosophy of shooting for himself that his style has been created. Along the way, John has also learnt the value of treating people well and connection is a key theme of his work, of his enduring connection and also of his latest endeavour. Within this conversation, John talks about some of the images that have made him and stretched him, including an incredibly striking portrait of actor Jackie Weaver. And you'll see these over on Instagram at Ali Hill or by following the links in the show notes to explore more of John's work. John also shares his latest endeavour, directing a series called A Quiet Roar, showcasing the stories and campaigns of young activists advocating for social, political and economic change. A project that's incredibly impactful and deeply connecting for John, as you'll hear in this conversation. This is a personal, real and insightful conversation about creativity, art and the importance of deep connections with others. So enjoy listening to John Sievis. John, coming into us from LA, it's such a delight to to be connecting with you. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm going to start with looking at photography, and in particular, what drew you to photography? Well, actually, it was a happy accident. Um, so I wanted to get into advertising when I was a kid. I don't know why. It was just one of those to sound like a good job, you know. And so I taught myself photography at high school to create a folio. And uh, when I actually presented the folio to my advertising, uh, to the panel uh, to get into the course, they suggested I go down the hall to the photography department. And so my plan was always to kind of flip up, do a year there and then uh, reapply. And uh, I just fell in love with it. It was really one of those things that it just made perfect sense for me to do. What was it about advertising at the time that you kind of went, oh, that's that kind of piqued my interest? Do you remember what that was? No, but I just think it's that thing when you're a kid there, like you don't actually under- really understand the possibilities and how many different jobs there are, you know, mm. and it just sounded like it was just one of those things that seemed like, you know, it was the right it was just, you know, it sounded sexy. It sounded I cool. Think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I guess it sounded cool. And I also think it was probably because, you know, I was always creative as a kid and I think it was kind of, it seemed like there was like that, you know, it seemed like a happy kind of medium between different, you know, areas. of, And so, yeah, that's what kind of drew me to photography. And I, you know, again, like my whole career has been happy accidents um, I shot a family, a, a portrait of my family when I was uh, 18 
and a producer, Jane Scott, who had produced uh, Shine. She had just, we're talking 97, no, so we're talking 90, 98. Um, so she just like won Oscars for Shine. She did, she worked on, she produced Crocodile Dundee and she was this amazing person. And when she was producing a film called Head On, she put it out there to uni students to go, go up for the job. And she saw my, my portrait of my family. And that's what got me that job. And from there, it just happened. It just kept rolling. Um, but then I, I finished uni, did my third year. I was working at Fletcher Jones selling suits <laughs> and I got a phone call by the producer of, of Chopper. And then, uh, so I was like maybe 20. It was actually working doing the onset stills mm-hmm. and then shooting the posters. And so I got the job to do Chopper straight out of uni and it just kind of, it just kept rolling, uh, and I and I kept that <laughs> that retail job for probably uh, three or four years because I just thought that people would just realise that I wasn't really good enough to be in that job. That I was just you know um, cheating my way through, and um, yeah, and so I think I I, I kind of did on set stills for probably six or seven years up until I was about twenty five, and that I mean. Working on set, I, I, I love it, but that job in particular was just horrendous. <laughs> you know, oh. <laughs> at the bottom, <laughs> um, you're at the bottom of the barrel in terms of with like on, on set and you're the, you're, you're not the priority. And it was just, you know, as much as I loved it, it just, it was time to move on. I love that you kept your retail job for three years <laughs> in, in amongst that, uh, you know, the, the, is this really going to continue? How long is this going to last? Yeah. The still poster of the movie Chopper is just so iconic, particularly here in Australia. It is the image that I would say 95%, 99% of Australians, if they were to see it, know exactly who that is. Um, so it's an extraordinary kind of experience to have early on, but it's so interesting to hear that will it last kind of feeling. Yeah. Well, I make a joke really because then I, I say that my career, especially in this, um, like shooting stills, peaked really at, like right at the beginning. I shot head on Chopper and I did all the, the first two or three seasons of Secret Life of Us. Mm. And so, and at that time, that was huge. So that was early 2000s. And then if you look at my IMDb, there's a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> take take uh, the good stuff uh, and then figure out <laughs> figure out the rest. I want to jump back again. Um, and you mentioned this this beautiful photo of your family. Talk to me a little bit about growing up, and I guess whether where the thread of creativity was woven through where you grew up and and the family you grew up in. Yeah. So um, my parents. I'm, I'm of Greek descent. So my parents. Uh, immigrants from Greece. Uh, my mother grew up here, so whereas my father um, immigrated when he was like uh, close to twenty. So my mother always wanted to be an artist, and still to this day, she's an amazing drawer. But uh, you know, just it was a she's a victim of the times, I guess, in the way that uh, she was forced to go to secretarial school, and she just didn't ever pursue, you know, her any artistic endeavors. And so, uh, you know, as much as my parents invested in my education because, you know, they, you, you know, worked really hard for me to go to school. Mum was just totally on my side 
to, you know, for me to go to, to pursue photography. My father always wanted me to do it as a hobby. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's where, and just having the encouragement of my parents, you know, and it even comes down to, you know, uh, like building sets when I was at uni or anything. My dad was there, you know, my parents were there to kind of help out. Um, we've got this funny story with a bunch of friends of mine who I did a, like a, they, they were, nude and so mum was there handing out you know she was the caterer on set <laughs> and there's all my friends hanging out in bathrobes and yeah so yeah I always had their support. Beautiful kind of encouragement and, and uh, that sense of foundation for for stepping into the artistic kind of world. You mentioned before so being an on-set photographer taking the um, poster stills is often not a something we associate with TV shows or or movies and yet obviously it's it's the very first thing that we see of them coming out so often uh, you mentioned before that you can be the bottom of the barrel on set what did you learn from that experience or that feeling of this isn't about me but it's so critical that I capture this for the advertising side of it yeah, I mean, because what I didn't say earlier was that the course that I did was it was photography uh, specialising in advertising. So I kind of did have that foundation. So I, I guess I just had an innate understanding of like what it is to capture an image that tells a story and that that I've taken through to all my through my work it was such a learning experience and that and I would often say this because I know I direct so it, it taught me a lot also what I don't what how I don't treat people on set you know uh on sets are really hierarchical and I think they're really problematic in the way that everyone's really judged on their jobs until your question earlier about you know being an on-set stills photographer my job it wasn't prioritized in the way that Every, everyone else's job is kind of trying to get that day shot and shooting stills, you know, might be an extra minute to their shoot day, like, you know, or within scenes. Um, and a lot of people just didn't want to support that or have you on, on, like on set. And so I felt like, I just know that I had to really just become everyone's friend. And that's how I got, that's, I would, you know, make sure that I would go in and, you know, just, just be a, a nice person, I guess, you know, speak to people, know their names, you know, um, that was just really, uh, I guess that's how I kind of combated that, that negativity on set. The power of connecting, as you say, it sounds small, but knowing people's names to actually go, look, I'm, I'm easy to work with or, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's something we can come. Yeah, well, to that, you know, like um, some, like I just directed something a couple of months ago and I really needed some help in terms of the budget was small and, and we were being really um, ambitious. And, you know, like the, some of the team were that I got on board were people that I worked with 20 years ago and the grip, it was the, the, my, the grip was with me and so was the electrics guy. And, you know, it, it just comes down to I feel like, you know, prioritizing relationships with people really and 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 it's not small uh, for me I, and I've been doing my job now for 30 years you know I don't believe in small wins I think it's always about you know sometimes you kind of lose on a job it might be financial or you might just have to uh sacrifice pushing something too hard but yeah I think it always kind of pays off in the end that power of connections and as you say 30 years in the industry you never know where those connections come back, can be supportive. How critical is that for you in being able to capture the shots that you've captured? Having a team that you can rely on, talk to, connect with, like how important is, is that for you? Well, 
everything I do is about collaboration, you know, and that's why for me now moving into directing is just the natural progression. Uh, during COVID, I, you know, like everyone else, really struggled. And so I thought, okay, well, I then got a, a life coach. Uh, and uh, what we kind of discovered was that what I thrive on and what I love, uh, uh, you know, really comes from working co collaboratively. Photography can be really solitary and you're like, uh, you know, so much work goes into, you know, all the prep and it really just peaks to some, usually it's one day work, you know, like, like when I'm doing a big campaign, it might be a day or so. Um, but I still have that team around me, uh, you know, where it might be a spice, like, you know, I've got a long-term relationship or long-term relationship, but like I've got well, really, um, with my stylist, he's been on my side, you know, we collaborate in the way that, you know, when, when a, when a brief comes in, we'll talk about all the creative and, and just push everything together. And that's what I love about collaborations and working with people. We'll yeah. come to. And it's also that trust that you've, they've got your back, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it can be, you know, we work under such high pressure situations, often with the, you know, budget, you know, there are budgetary constraints, there are, you know, time, also just, you know, there's, you know, often I work with, I've been doing celebrity portraiture for a long time. And, you know, that's kind of its own kind of crazy world in that, they, you know, it's really kind of hard to kind of make sure that, um, you know, you're able to achieve what you want. And so, yeah, but, but it's also saying that it's also being flexible is really important too. Flexible to kind of do, like, I mean, I do a lot of research as well. So when I walk into a shoot, I put so much time and effort into thinking of like, okay, well, what is it that I want to achieve? I also kind of then think of every situation of like, what happens when things go wrong? What's my backup plan? How do I, you know, quickly pivot? And so when I turn up on set, I feel like now, like after doing it for so long, I want it to seem effortless and I think I kind of kind of it does seem like it's effortless but there's so much work that goes into getting ready and and you know getting the shoot up. I find that so fascinating and I'd love to almost drill down on some of that a little bit in terms of talk to me about your creative process where you say the aim and what you deliver is creating an image that tells a story. And I imagine some of that is intuition over nearly 30 years in the, in doing this work, whether there are just magic moments that happen, but also there's a huge amount of work from brief or idea to execution and delivery. Talk me through your creative process. Yeah, um, so it's, it's really, really interesting in that where a lot of my jobs, people come to me to come up with the entire campaign. So, and that's something where I guess I've been able to bring in my skills of like, you know, studying advertising and photography and, and then all my kind of, all my um, experience of working on set as well. But what really helps is having some parameters, <laughs> you know, let's say example, for example, I just shot a, cam shot a couple campaigns for um, a hotel, Crown Hotels, and they came to me with just an open brief. So I had to go through all their, um, you know, their branding decks and try to understand who they are, what, who is their audience, what are we trying to achieve? Like, and then find the human element in things. Um, work out what people connect with. And I think it's real like, authenticity, whether it, I think it's about human emotion, connection. And so that's what I try to do in whatever I do. 
that's so important because I, you know, I, I just I think you know I do shit for a lot of luxury brands, and I don't think you know I don't believe a lot of that like the imagery and stuff I see. I don't care. I want to I want to connect with something and people around me, and so I think my my clients find me and and in that way and the way I work, and it's a guest again. It's a you know, and then you know I then also choose my clients as well, you know? So yeah. Did I answer the question? <laughs> totally answer the question. Do you have any tools where, so I'm almost hearing your philosophy is, is finding the stories and capturing the, the emotion. And there's a, such a human heart element to that. What are mm-hmm. the, what are the tools that you, you tap into to, to pull that out, whether it's from the talent, whether it's from the set, what do you tap yeah, into? It's all of it. Uh, it's everything. I mean, it's every every job, every person's different. And I think I have a really kind of an instinct for working out how to communicate to people. But, you know, sometimes, I'm, you know, I used to put a lot of pressure on myself and things, there's such high stakes sometimes where, you know, it also depends on the person I'm shooting and how receptive they are to, to me or what they want to put out. And so it really does depend on... So many factors, but you know, like a, a, an image of mine that comes to mind is something that I did for the National Portrait that I was commissioned for by the National Portrait Gallery to shoot Jackie Weaver, mm. and it was Jackie Weaver as herself. Now that, and it didn't have any parameters, like that was it. And so that was honestly, I had sleepless nights. I didn't know because who is an actor when they're not playing a part, you know? And how do you actually? They're themselves, and mm. so I wanted it to be dramatic. I wanted it to kind of engage the audience and so that I found that to be one of the hardest portraits to shoot because when I'm shooting for a magazine we understand instantly if it's for you know Rolling Stone or Harper's Bazaar we know what the we understand the audience Mm. and there's so many things that inform that that image but yeah that was, was one of the hardest shoots I'd ever done and honestly it's one of my favorite portraits it kind of has this, you know, like I remember saying to her that I want you to like feel like you're one of the witches in Macbeth, you know, I want to, I want that power. And um, yeah, and so that's one of my favourite portraits. It's so um, fascinating that you, you've uh, highlighted that. It was one on my list to talk to you about because it's an incredible photo. There's a real haunting protectiveness about the imagery. Did you go into that project with that kind of feeling in mind? Um, I, you know, I just remember I just wanted a powerful image. I mm. thought, you know, I'd worked with uh, with Jackie on Animal Kingdom and I just just remember that there was this, there, she kind of was monstrous but still vulnerable. <laughs> so I couldn't say to her, hey, go and be, you know, perform. You know, that, that's just not something that, you know, that's not how you would direct an actor, mm. you know. So my job is just to find the threads and work out how to get to that point. Did you realise you'd got it in the moment? Uh, no. Because, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I shot a couple, ex- I remember shooting her in one extra, one other outfit, and uh, that was actually my friend's coat. So I remember like thinking, like, even as how do you style someone? Mm. Because it wasn't a fashion shoot, you know? Mm. And so 
yeah, it was just, we wrapped it, yeah, we just gave her that coat and she kind of worked it out. <laughs> Incredible. It's extraordinary uh, kind of imagery. A lot of what you do, you recently put up on your Instagram account a um, photo of Dan Carter, who's a former All Blacks player, um, which is a, an advertising image. And so a lot of your work is this fine art meets advertising. Is there a tension between those two elements? Well, it's interesting because, you know, for such a, you know, I, I remember as a young photographer, people always saying like, who are you? You know, what's your style? And, you know, that's just such a difficult answer, a different way, that it's just impossible, you know. Like when you're just learning what, you know, like when you're learning your craft, uh, it's such a hard kind of way to navigate. And also because so much of what we do and the jobs that we get are for, are for what we already have in our folio. So people don't, like a lot of clients aren't uh, forward thinking. Uh, they, and so what I kind of, I, like uh, I guess what I decided early on in my career is that I'll always shoot for myself. And so I will always create it, like I'll always do my own side shoots. And then it, I'm actually now kind of at a point in my career where my clients come to me because of my style. And so, yeah, it's taken so long to get here in the way that, you know, building your, your kind of toolkit and you know, to know how to re react on set when something's going wrong or whatever. And then to have all that going on and to still bring in your artwork is something that really that's, that's, I know that's my path. And that's what every, you know, I walk into every shoot wanting to create something for me. And that's, uh, you know, and of course, I'm always mindful of like what my clients' needs are. But yeah, that's how I've kind of been able to f merge my artwork with my, my commercial work. And I don't really see much of a difference anymore. It's, it's so funny you say that because I had a meeting uh, a couple of days ago where someone said that, uh, you know, wanted to know what, what, can, what more work on my site, which I wanted to see more of my commercial work. And I was like, well, actually, it's all commercial work, mm. you know, it's just because I'm not shooting, you know, a wine bottle uh, like everyone else shoots it just is, doesn't mean that uh, it's not commercial. Mm. And I don't see, also I don't see like a, that used to be a dirty word. And there's also that kind of thing where, you know, you can't be a commercial photographer and do artwork, you know, but I've been able to slowly navigate that way, you know, my way through that world um, where, you know, I've been really lucky to have a great relationship with the National Portrait Gallery where I've had, they've collected my work. I've had uh, exhibitions there, you know, so it's been, that's been a really kind of wonderful relationship. And that's also helped bring up my profile in the art world as well. I've been talking a lot to individuals from a whole range of different industries about our relationship with uncertainty, not only through pandemics, but just change is really constant. The way that we operate and our relationship with uncertainty can be tenuous at times and sometimes it's really um, exhilarating and thrilling. Art is inherently uncertain. You can have an idea but the tangibility of it is unknown. You don't know what the set's going to be like, everything you can plan and try and work out beforehand, but you're still dealing with the intangible in a lot of ways. What's your relationship like with uncertainty? <laughs> well, I haven't lived in my home for three years. I've lived out of a suitcase pretty much. So I kind of, uh, my, it's so funny that, you know, like I've, I've been with my partner for now 24 years and we've 
pretty much just gone with our instinct. You know, uh, we moved to America 10 years ago uh, when I kind of like an opportunity popped up for me and we were packed up our lives, our car, our house, the jobs, everything. And we were here within a couple of months. And now we're actually in the process of, we decided a couple of weeks ago that we're leaving America. And so we're heading off to Mexico for a while. So, and then we don't, I don't just don't know what's in store for the next, you know, the next mm. couple of months or, and I'm just making it up as I go. But yeah, I just, I kind of thrive in like kind of these situations. When, um, when things maybe don't go and I'll use inverted commas right or as you planned, how do you navigate that? Well, gosh, um, it's so funny because like, I don't know if I make plans. My, like people often ask me, what am I doing? Where am I, what am I, where am I living? What am I doing? And I'm always like, well, currently or today, um, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. It's also that, you know, like we're, we're, I, we're in the midst of packing up and I just got a brief in that might take me around Asia for a month mm. coming up soon. So I'm working on a treatment for that. So if that, pops up that just means that we just have to kind of deal with it and I guess you know like I, I don't have even thought about it but like you know every time I book a holiday I mean there's been times that I've literally been you know away with my partner and I've been booked for another job you know a day two days before and I've left our vacations and I've just been on a plane off again mm. and so I mean that's really hard and there are times I have to say no but um yeah just have to go with it Seeing, kind of exciting. seeing those opportunities and is there an element of freedom that comes with being able to see what's next? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it does seem like, you know, it, uh, I guess when I said I haven't really lived at home for, I haven't lived in my own home for three years, I guess, you know, it, it sounds it sounds like it, it, it's freedom, but I mean, I, a lot of time I spend time on my, it's, I'm, I'm on, on my own and I'm traveling and it can be really lonely and a lot of time spent waiting for something, you know, waiting for the next job, which might be a week or two, like in between. And that's something that, you know, it's, it's pretty tough, you know, and I guess that's why my partner and I really decided we've been pretty much living apart for two years. I've been, and that's been really hard. We've been trying to be in the same place as long as, you know, whenever we can. Um, but that's kind of like, he's my one thing that like my one consideration, you know, mm. like that's, and I have to kind of put him above my ambition and all those things, you know, and that I guess maybe growing up, <laughs> you know, this thing, I guess my priorities are really changing. It's more about my family. It's more about my relationships. Mm. I love my job. I really do. It's my job. And I can't put my value in that because, you know, as working as a creative for 30 years, you know, everyone will tell you that you're not good enough. You're not this you're too young, you're too old, you're now, you know, you're not the right gender or you're not the right this, or it's just nonstop. So if I don't kind of, yeah, prioritize my relationships, then I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'd fall apart. <laughs> it's so interesting, even what you've just said, because for so many people listening, uh, what we do is our identity, right? So our self-worth is attached to the next success, the next project we're working on. And yet if we I imagine in an amplified way the industry that you work in, if you attached it too much, it would be a really tough ride uh, and trying to really hold on to the relationships, the connections, the people that we value the most and love the most um, as that being kind of front of mind. Has that connection to, I guess, your expansion of your identity 
of who you are and in that in your career and your work, your body of work is a part of that, but it's only a part of it. Is that shifting and changing? Is that kind of expanding for Constantly. you? Constantly. Yeah, and I guess, you know, one of the big equalizers in my relationship was when my partner and I moved to the States, you know, like we were so tied up in Australia and it was, you know, like my work and, you know, and then it was the time that we came here and then we were just us, you know, there was no, there was no judgment or histories and people were just taking us at face value and, and what we were, what we were kind of contributing to relationships or friendships. And that's been really great in my relationship too, you know, because I mean, I've been like a working photographer, you know, and I guess I could say my worked on high profile stuff. And so that really changed my, the way that I, you know, my, the way we view ourselves. It was like, great that we had true friends, you know, and we made true friendships. That, weren't, that wasn't all about um, status and, you know, an ego. Or trying to get into the next campaign or the next gig or to be, I imagine, yeah, yeah. that part of that ego oh, is Don't get connection. me wrong, that's, that's, that's really important, you know. Like it is kind of I am my happiest when I am being productive, mm. you know, and that's also whether it's my own artwork or, you know, whether I'm, yeah, where I'm working to make money, you know. Like there are times where I've had to face months of no of unemployment, you know, and that really shakes you. Mm. And there are times where, you know, you're often even told as a creative, oh, you know, that you've had your time, that you're no longer fashionable, you're no longer, you know, the person things have changed. And so that's something that you always have to you have to face and it's something that my friends who uh work in you know office jobs or whatever they do you don't face that you know and like often i like every day is a job interview like imagine that every day like you're pitching another idea you're being judged you're being evaluated it's just it, it can wear you down and that's again i'm really lucky that i've got such a supportive family and partner yeah, what do you need around you to to ground you to be that kind of foundation? Obviously, family and a partner is a really kind of key part of that. What what also have you learnt kind of helps you? Because no doubt that's been a part of a message across the last 30 years. What are those things that kind of help ground you or support you? You know, like I guess it's to take – whenever things aren't working, I take myself out of that situation. Um, I really kind of try to find inspiration and it's when I shift my, my energy that I find things shift for me. So I've, or that's really what I've kind of learned that I, I can't just wallow in things, you know, like, you know, there are times where I've pitched on a huge job that was supposedly going to go my way and it could be life changing at times, you know, and there's a bit of disappointment, but uh, you know, I have to, I do kind of, I do kind of have to mourn it. And I know my process is that I disappear for a day. I literally will kind of have that day on the couch and let those feelings go, you know, that I have to kind of go, well, okay. And then I just have to pick myself up and just kind of focus on the next thing. But also one of the things uh, that we've been talking about, like just being told that you're irrelevant as a, as a creative, you know, I'm always making sure that I am engaged with what's going on that I'm going to galleries I'm seeing work I you know my friends are all different age groups from 20s and to to you know I've got my friends into in their 80s they they're just like having people around you that kind of offer wisdom and then are fun <laughs> uh having that's really important to me 
I've got a beautiful friend of mine who um, she's constantly sort of looking for the friendship openings, like the the friend who's yeah. got the boat and the friend who is funny okay. and the friend who's got the wisdom. And, you know, there is, there is uh, I think there's something, and whilst there's a bit tongue-in-cheek, there is something about gathering those people that does become really valuable in those moments and, and gets yeah. us out of that, that funk for ourselves. Yeah. Well, I have a, one of my best friends. Uh, he's born on the same day as me and he will, like my partner will kind of, um, he, you know, kind of pander to my kind of moods or whatever, whereas this friend of mine will shoot me down in a second. So it's also having that friend who will kind of tell you like, hey, sort your shit out, you know. <laughs> They're invaluable. They're absolutely Uh, invaluable. With sourcing and capturing those kind of bits of inspiration, getting out of your own head at times, finding different things, but also coming up with that, that next kind of creative thing. One of the things that can happen is that we can have things maybe not go to plan on a on a particular campaign or a shoot that you're you're working on. Can you recall a particular and again I use I'll use this word failure? but really kind of loosely, a particular thing that didn't go well, but actually you learnt a lot or it was a hidden gem that was kind of a bit of a pivotal moment for you? Yeah. I mean, I was fired off a job once when I was 25 and it was meant to be, you know, it was my first big American um, studio job and, you know, I God, I thought, you know, it was going to change my life, you know. So, and also that, you know, I was working on set stills and it was working with huge actors and huge director and rah, rah, rah. And it was out of my control. And I, you know, I, I did everything that I could to kind of navigate it and I knew what was going on and I got fired. And I reckon that was probably much the first time that I really even kind of just spoke up. And um, I remember being pulled aside at the end of the day and I remember saying, no, this was your fault and you knew what was going on. And this guy and just kept knuckling down and he, like, can you imagine firing like a 25-year-old or 23 or whatever I was, but saying to someone who said, it's a dog-eat-dog world. <laughs> and I turned around and I was like, and he said, where are, you, where are you going? And I said, I'm going back to set to tell everyone what just happened. And he was like, well, you can't. And I was like, well, no, no, no. I said, I don't work for you anymore, so you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and I went over and I told my friends on set and I just burst out crying. I remember it was just this, it was just the most heartbreaking thing. I, and I just was decided I was going to give up photography and I bought a ticket. So my partner was like, you just travel. And so I went to go travel around the world for six months. And uh, Jane Scott, who was the producer who got, gave me my first ever film, gave me a call and she's like, look, I know what happened. Come and do a film with me in Rome. And she pulled me back in. But that was a point where, I guess it really taught me about resilience, about not giving up. It actually shifted my my um, my focus away from on set stills. That's what you know, and that's when I kind of moved away from that doing that. But also, it taught me like I feel like a responsibility now to younger people, younger creatives. You know, I feel like that I will never do that to someone. You know, I've learned, I've had a lot of examples of bad people. You know, I came, I was working in the nineties and I'm telling you, like there was some, I did, I probably, I didn't assist much, but I assisted just the right amount of horrible people. <laughs> and, uh, and I just learned that that's not what I want. That's not like I, there were, there were 
lonely. They were they weren't nice people, and I just remember thinking, well, I've, I learned from them. If I wanted to, I learned from their mistakes, you know. Uh, and going back to just how I feel like a responsibility to the people who work for me or younger creatives that you know I'll give them a go. I'll talk to them about hey this wasn't right for this reason and give someone a chance. And then if they don't, you know, like you're not always aligned with everyone and it doesn't work, but I don't ever want to shatter someone's dreams because that's what that person could have done to me. I could have just, if Jane didn't call me, I could have possibly just given up, you know, and that's just heartbreaking. And I know that's happened to so many of my creative friends where they've been churned out and used and just, it's, it's, yeah, that's something that, I've learnt. The statement you just said about I've worked for just the right amount of (laughs) difficult (laughs) people people. (laughs) is genius because it is something we we learn and it helps us keep front of mind in the way that we want to work. One of the things you've mentioned and I'd love to dive into now is your move from photography and into directing. How does your experience as a photographer influence the choices that you make about storytelling well, I guess the first thing is just like, you know, my career is also made up of what I say no to, you know. So I used to, you know, get a mistake I made earlier on where I'd say yes to everything and so much of your energy goes into these things. So firstly is make sure that I'm attached to the right projects and I'm with the right people. So that's first and foremost. But I, I guess everything I do really kind of comes from a connectedness you know, I really want to tell those human stories. And, you know, I'm just really starting my directing. You know, I actually just this year, I just kind of was uh, <laughs> like I was um, a finalist in this year's kind of the Emerging Directors of Australia. Congratulations. So, <laughs> the award was at 46. It's hilarious to be <laughs> emerging. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Um, yeah, no, but like, I'm just starting out and I'm work. I'm still working all that stuff out, you know, but um, I, I, I created a documentary series that really is one of the, I think one of the most, it's really changed me in the most positive way. What came out of the the sessions with my life coach during COVID mm. was that, you know, it was about collaboration and stories and stuff like that. And so I decided to work on a, I went out and created a, a documentary series on featuring young activists and I shot them all on my own. So I directed them was the director of photography because it was at the height of COVID. We couldn't have a crew. So my partner would come out with me and we'd kind of muck it, muck in together. And then um, I taught myself uh, all the post-production and editing. And so that's been the most rewarding thing uh, just in telling those people stories, you know, we're talking about, Gosh, but, you know, like I think I just realised that I realised how fortunate of a life I had and, like, you know, I do have support and there are people that, you know, things are just, especially living in America, there's just so much, people are just kind of up against it, you know. There's so many communities under attack, you know, like for, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the conservative groups kind of pushing against, um, you know, uh, queer rights and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement happened here as well uh, and that really kind of had an impact on me as well. Um, so, yeah, they're showing those people's stories is something that I feel really passionate about. They're really beautiful stories that have got a lot of heart in it. The documentary series is called A Quiet Roar. Where did that name come from or what does that name mean for you? 
Well, you know, actually, I can't claim that. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> my, my my friend David, who also works as my stylist, mm. you know, who <laughs> came up with that. But it just really kind of describes that series in that, you know, these people are just, they're making small changes within their communities, but they're making like a, a huge impact. And so, you know, like, uh, I mean, for example, Jessica was this woman that I met who was in LA gangs, was thrown out of home when she um, when she told her mother that her stepfather was molesting her and, you know, really ended up in jail and, and through the court system she didn't have, a, like, a lawyer. And so she taught herself the law to represent herself because people, a lot of uh, undocumented people and people who speak Spanish don't have the support. So she's now gone to law school and she's trying, she's studying to be a DA, you know, and that just for me was just to find someone that can, can come out of such a difficult situation and find positivity and light just, yeah. That means just so much to me. And that there, we all of us have pathways to find resources. Like that's what's extraordinary in, in that story. Yeah, but also but I guess she also works for um, an organisation uh, that works with pe- lots of people kind of leaving gangs and prison and uh, just to see just to see her resilience and, and, and what she gives to them and the empathy. Mm-hmm. Is something that I learned too. You know, uh, it's pretty tough, and, I, and I just make, it just breaks my heart to think that some people just don't have the support that you know they deserve or need. Especially here in in America, I just I didn't really fully understand what a dreamer was. You know, that the people who were brought here as children and that just don't have status, and so that means they just don't have the rights. There's 11 million people in America who don't have a medical who don't actually uh yeah can't get a driver's license and so they're just living in the shadows and so how do you wake up every day and move forward how do you it's just it's it's pretty tough what impact has this project had on you personally gosh i mean this is probably the first time i've talked about it not almost cried um oh look oh god i'm trying to put myself together <laughs> Okay, you know, like it's just one of those things that I remember. Like one, like actually, two of the two of the subjects have said to me, "This is the first time I've ever been seen," and that just breaks my heart. Mm. Yeah, so that really breaks my heart. See, you got me. <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, I really do talk about it. it really, kind of, I just, it just really. I just feel so connected to these people and stories. And I've, I stopped, it took so much of my time because I had to direct and mm. uh, during doing it during COVID gave me the ability to focus. And so I've now, I just shot another documentary two weeks ago. So I'm back in editing. And so I'm just something I'm just going to keep doing. And I haven't really found a home for it. I mean, there's, it's been the, the films have screened in a bunch of like, you know, I think over 30 film festivals around the world. Um, and that, but not as a, not as the, in its entirety. And so, yeah, I just, and, but also it's nice to kind of just create. And that's something that, it just I feel connected with, and then also so what what part of the series was I've I've teamed with um, a Mexican textile artist, and so I shoot portraits of each of the subjects, and she weaves over them, and so creates these unique pieces of art that it, we are just trying to work out what to do. Uh, yeah, find the find the home for these stories where you uncover the stories of, as you say, the people that live in the shadows uh, and such a beautiful sentiment where a couple of them said this feels like the first time I've been seen. 
How did you come across their stories? Well, interestingly, so I've got a friend of mine here, another Aussie guy in LA, that he's a straight, he does street casting. And so, and it was again during COVID that we decided to do it. And so he just scoured uh, social media and, uh, you know, one of the subjects, Zero, who is a disabled trans person who raised, uses their social media to raise money for their for the community. So that might be for someone to, to eat that day for some, for, for some way to sleep, for them to sleep, you know? So that just, yeah. So, yeah. So they're, they're the stories that I think need to be told. Mm. And so, yeah, so we found uh, him through social media and then also it became a bit of word of mouth where um, someone would say, Hey, I know someone that you need to speak to. And then um, uh, I shot one in Mexico because I, I was living there during the pandemic. And so also, well, I should also say some of these people have become my friends. Mm. Um, uh, I volunteered with an organization uh, helping raise money for some of the, the indigenous tribes, the Wicholes, to get uh, for, for, for a lot of their craft, because they're mainly craftspeople, uh, to get eye surgeries for cataracts. And so that they are able to to create their craft that then raise money for their communities. And so that was someone I met at Chabe. She became one of my close friends and I uh, went on a couple of expeditions up into the mountains. And it was, it was just, yeah, like I said, it changed my life. Mm. There's a real crossover between uh, not only the the art but uh, the stories and the true connections of, of people as you're describing. What's exciting you about what's next for you? Wow, gosh. I'm a little bit kind of scared as well. <laughs> uh, no, we're like so we're packing up. Um, my partner and I are going to kind of take some time and live in Mexico for a while uh, because I really feel connected to Mexico and just take a big deep breath and so reconnect and so and then we'll be moving to Sydney next year the beginning of uh, 2024 so that's all exciting stuff and you know like even just like so I got briefed on a job that I'm putting a treatment together so I'm up with like another two directors so again that might just change in a second and so if that comes through I'll be on a plane and yeah make something else happen. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back and just say a line or two to that 20, 23-year-old that jumped on a plane and was going to pack it all in at the time, what do you think the main thing is that you would share? I pretty much wouldn't say a thing. Um, I mean, everything I've done is just, you know, that that trip was beautiful. I met, you know, so many amazing people that are still my friends yeah, I just, and it just took me out of just having to just constantly work and think that work was the only thing for me to, to achieve. And so, no, I wouldn't say anything. I just, you know, I, I'm really happy where I am. Mm. So, yeah. It's been a beautiful conversation exploring uh, kind of art, creativity, navigating uncertainty. I've got one final question for you. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? Um, oh, gosh. Um, oh, well, I would say, I guess I've probably mentioned it before, but I think it's to be connected and to live in a community. So that kind of really is important to me. And it's not just about me. <laughs> and that um, I guess being truthful to yourself, to myself, to then get to, to follow my instinct. Yeah, just to say I know when it's time to move on or it's time to, yeah. The people so, around you <laughs> follow you, yeah, I'd I mean, sign up for that. <laughs> yeah, 
It's, uh, uh, you, you, I, I cried. I can't believe it. <laughs> it sounded <laughs> like it wasn't going to be too hard, to be honest, John. <laughs> well, you know, I hope that, you know, I, part of also learning of growing up is that I connect to my emotions. So, hey, that's that was real. That happened. So Beautiful. It's what's authentic. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then let's keep the conversation going. The main place that I hang out is on Instagram at Ali Hill, A-L-I-H-I-L-L. One of the ways you can continue to support me and the team behind the podcast is if you could take two minutes just to rate and review Standout Life Podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if this conversation is one that you know that someone in your world would get huge amount of value out of, then please share share it with them or maybe share it on your socials. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in, for your ongoing support and for joining me in exploring what does it really take. As always, this is Standout Life Podcast and I'm Ali Hill.